Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of One Vision, brought to you by Unconventional Ventures. Your hosts today are Theo Lau and Bradley Limer, and we are joined by our guest Liz Lowy, co-founder and COO of EverSafe. For the listeners who are used to tuning into our show, you know that we invite amazing and wonderful and absolutely brilliant ladies to come on the show to talk about anything and everything in fintech, except the gender, because there are lots of interesting things to uncover. So today. Liz, let's give you guys a little bit of background. She was the founding chief of the Elder Abuse Unit, a former attorney in charge of the Domestic Violence Unit,、um, and recently the co-founder of EverSafe.、Um, welcome so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Good to be here. Thanks. So I have an interesting question. I, I, I am actually really, really curious, and we we chat about this. It still fascinates me. Of all the people that we know in, in the circle and starting up、um, businesses, you are the one with the most interesting career paths.、Um, and I, I would have to say, I would admit, I think the first time when I read it, I'm like, oh my goodness, I was a little bit intimidated, a little bit scared.、Um, so, can you share with us the story of how you went from all of that、um, to becoming a co-founder of EverSafe with Howard? Sure, and boy, I apologize. I, <laughs> I hope it wasn't too intimidating, but、um, I do wear two hats、um, now as a former prosecutor and now working in technology.、Uh, I was intimidated by you and your background as well, Theo. So、um, let's just put that out there. But、um, I had no intention. Of leaving the Manhattan DA's office and going into technology. In fact, my kids laughed when I told them that that's what I was going to do. But as you noted,、um, I was a veteran prosecutor at the Manhattan DA, first under Robert Morgenthau,、uh, and then under Cyrus Vance, who is the current DA. And、um, I was the lawyer、uh, who. When thinking about my career,、um, had no idea. I I I was a lawyer who wasn't really in love with the law. I didn't love law school,、um, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I worked at、um, a few law firms, and still didn't know. But when I interned、uh, at the DA's office, I thought, "Wow, one-on-one interaction with victims, I could do this." So, I went to the Manhattan DA's office.、Um, Where you know there's、uh, courtroom experience、uh, opportunities, but also I really、uh, enjoyed the one-on-one with victims and and being able to help people. So、um, I did head the domestic violence unit for、um, close to five years, and then noticed that we had all of these specialized units. You know, we had a, a child abuse unit, a domestic violence unit. Um, um, Spanish language unit,、um, a focus on、uh, economic crime,、um, sex crimes, but nothing focused on on older victims, on seniors. So I talked to Mr. Morgenthau about that when I headed domestic violence, and I said, "Look, there are an awful lot of these cases.、Um, the U.S. demographic is is aging. We really need some specialization." And he agreed immediately, and we started the elder abuse unit. I quickly saw in overseeing that unit of of eighteen prosecutors that most of the cases with older adults 
most of the investigations involve some kind of, of fraud, um, theft, identity theft, um, you know, even paper cases like forgery. Um, and so ended up spending a lot of my time with banks and firms and credit unions sort of um, assisting with their educational efforts about the problem of uh, uh, financial abuse in later life, helping them develop their strategies to focus on seniors. And then I met my current CEO after uh, we had this case involving Brooke, a woman named, a, a late lady named Brooke Astor in New York. She was well-known, at least in New York City. There are landmarks named after the Astor family, like the, the Astor Place subway stop, the Waldorf Astoria, and many others. She was financially abused by her only son. His name was Anthony Marshall. The case was pretty typical, except in the amount of funds that were stolen and the value of the assets. But her only son was her power of attorney, her executor of her will, um, her healthcare proxy. He worked for her for about a half a million dollars a year. He served as a, an informal financial advisor. And her grandson moved for guardianship because he was so concerned about her. Um, and the case ended up coming to our office where we investigated her son and an attorney. And the case ended up as a trial. So. It's a very sad case. Maybe some folks who are listening heard about that case. He was convicted along with this lawyer for scheming to defraud her, for conspiracy, for theft charges. Really sad case that we never intended to go to trial with. We thought it would plead out. So that's a, a, around the time I met my, my current CEO. He called me after reading about that case. And his name is Howard Tischler. Uh, his mother had been exploited. It really uh, uh, also a very common case. She was His mother was called at the age of 80 by a telemarketer that sold her an auto club service. Um, when she was 80, I think suffered from some mild cognitive impairment that hadn't been diagnosed yet. Sold her a car club service at a time when she didn't own a car was legally blind, she was a, a single older woman, and she simply said yes to all the questions that were asked. So he called me, I think really he understood we couldn't prosecute, he was from DC, I was in New York. But um, he read about the Esther case and really wanted more information. So we talked about why he probably wasn't called by his mother's financial advisor, we eventually had lunch. I talked to him about what banks or firms are doing to identify these cases earlier, but also what they're not doing and also what they can't do. And the rest is history. And that's the long answer to your question about how a prosecutor becomes a, a, a tech startup entrepreneur. And that's really the problem that we're focusing on in Eversafe. So, so let's talk about that a little bit more, Liz. I mean, so, so I've been in credit unions and banks and, you know, part of what we have to train on is elder abuse and hold up those protections that we have for seniors. Um, one of the things that 
you know, seems to still not being done, uh, being, being performed well, I think is a, a continual monitor of transactions. And I don't think it's, it's something that, that is really talked enough about because the, the assets in this sort of over 50 uh, age group is the most profitable, is the most large amount of balances, but it's also the, the most um, biggest place for this type of fraud. And so, you know, talk about your solution a little bit and talk about the other things that you think that the industry can do to help protect seniors, because this is, this is a problem that continues. Um, and we could feel it in both your and Howard's story about why you got into it and why it's so important, but what else can we do? And tell us a little bit more about what, what your company does. Sure. And, and I agree with you. I mean, we look to banks and firms and credit unions, you know, because we, we, we need them to manage our money. And yet my opinion is there's, and this is an informed opinion, having, you know, worked with them and called them as in as witnesses on criminal investigations. They don't love getting that grand jury subpoena, but they have to because the cases go on honestly for weeks and usually months or years before they're identified. So, you know, they're they're the first line of defense, and yet they really are between a rock and a hard place, right? They don't have psychiatrists on staff, so that when they're uh, customers, their clients who appear to be vulnerable. And by the way, they're not older, all older clients who right. appear to be vulnerable, right? Some are younger. They may think there's something going on, some diminished capacity, even dementia, but they can't diagnose right there. So they're really, they're in a tough spot as to what to do. But as you noted in your question, a really good question, is there more that could be done? And, and my feeling, and this is really why I left, is yes, there's far more that could be done. I know this from having a unit of prosecutors that had to roll out, you know, two or three carts filled with red welds, you know, from different, even though we, most of our cases now are digital, so much evidence comes in from different banks and different firms and different credit card companies. And the scammers understand this. So they really, they, they very rarely steal 50K or 100K from one institution in one fell swoop. They steal across accounts and across institutions. They know how to fly under the radar. I think they know what structuring is. So they can do their dirty work for a while, knowing that not only if they do that, it'll be harder to detect within one bank or firm, but also I think some of them are smart enough to know that banks and firms don't talk to each other about what's going on with your accounts. So before I went to the DA's office, I would have thought, just like with medical records, I would have thought doctors pick up the phone and talk to each other about what's going on with a particular patient. And we now know they, they can't, and they, we deal with HIPAA. But I think people don't know that banks and firms not only don't, but can't pick up the phone or send an email about your accounts because of Graham-Leach-Bliley and other privacy regulations. So scammers take advantage of this. They, I'm sure some of them are sophisticated enough to know that when a suspicious activity report known as a SAR is filed in a FinCEN database, that it's not shared with consumers, the affected consumers, which 
many people are outraged by that, right? So, so that's something that I explained to Howard when we first met. And he said, well, we could create a personal suspicious activity report for consumers. But as far as your question goes with respect to what banks and firms can do, they're now really drilling down on the problem. I think partly because everyone knows that, you know, boomers are aging. Um, there will soon be more senior citizens that are older than 65 than under 10. We're very close to that time. And seniors hold about 75% of the wealth. I'm, I'm giving you an average stat based on the research I've seen done by different groups and different financial institutions. Older folks own 75% of US assets, and yet the Alzheimer's Association says one in three seniors now dies with some form of dementia. Think about that. You know, it's like, you know, crooks go where the money is, and yet where the money is are folks that may start having issues. You know, don't think in terms of like full-fledged Alzheimer's, but just some problems with diminished capacity so they know where to go. So what did we set out to do at Eversafe? You know, I, I do wish that banks and firms would work with, with services like Eversafe more. We, we're fortunate. <laughs> we do work with a number of financial institutions um, to provide our service to them because they can't, you know, and don't communicate about any one John or Jane Doe's accounts. But we actually look at aggregated financial data we look across our customers or our members' mm -hmm. financial institutions. We analyze information daily across accounts and across institutions. And when someone signs up for Eversafe, we actually personalize their profile because someone who signs up who's gambled, I'm giving you an obvious example, once a week since they were 25, obviously gambling wouldn't be an alert. But if we can personalize a profile, we can really nail down on what's erratic for that individual. So we analyze um, not just credit data, and a big issue I have is that everyone's aware of identity theft and lots of folks are monitoring their credit report. But we, we do that, but we also look at activity across banks, um, and checking accounts, savings accounts, retirement accounts, investment accounts, credit cards, as well as credit data. And we start with that personalized profile, looking at historical data, look for erratic activity based on that personalized profile. Then the other thing we do that's really different is we send alerts, not just to our members, but to any number of folks that they designate. So, you know, an older couple or single mom or dad or individual without kids living in, I'll just choose Florida or Arizona, if their kids are in New York or Philly or California, when there's an alert for erratic activity, it can go out to the member as well as their, we call them trusted advocates. Financial advisors know them as trusted contacts. And that way, that circle of trust, it could also be a power of attorney, could be an advisor, could be a CPA. But I really believe that circle of trust for the consumer has to get involved at this point because banks and firms are moving, but they're, they're not moving really quickly on this issue. 
they're trying, they're trying. I can't blame them, but more of them should work with, um, with FinTech services that have been vetted and gone through due diligence. Um, and more of them should enhance their analytics so that that 75 year old or they see an ATM card being used at 2.30 in the morning, you know, that's, that's different perhaps than the way that person behaved when they were 23. I'm not saying always. I sometimes go to the ATM late at night, but that's the, that's the problem that we are trying to focus on. And we are focused on seniors and younger adults as well. Half of our, half of our enrollees are over 55 and half are under 55. I would say the lion's share of our younger 55 members are people uh, in Gen X, I guess, who are concerned about themselves, their families, their parents, as well as their college-age kid who has his or her first credit card. You know, we can do that really with, with one login. We can, we can give a, a, an alert for erratic activity. And so that's the problem we're trying to solve that's maybe not being resolved within the bank or the, or the um, investment firm right now. Liz, you touched on something that um, I think we, we've chatted on enough about just the fact that in general, um, the older adults hold about 75% of U.S. assets. So, you know, and then there's something <clears throat> we joke about too, right? If you look at financial services, you look at fintech or, or banks, um, either one. Um, I've gotten comments from bankers that said, yeah, you know, yeah, we, we know that. We know they have a lot of assets. That's why we don't have to do anything with them because they already <laughs> have their money in the bank. Um, that's a feedback we, we get back quite a bit. But, you know, every time I listen to you, listen to you talk about what you guys are doing and why it's important to do it, I always feel like I'm gaining something. I'm learning something from you. And I always have this question in my head. I, I, I think I have a hypothesis. I still can't get around it. Is why, why is it that they have so much money and yet we keep focusing on the Gen Zs and the millennials and the Gen Alpha and, and, and all of that when the money rests with the older generation? Why are we looking at potentially down the road there will be wealth transfer, but right now this is where the money is. Why don't we go and pay attention to where the assets are right now to protect that? Why is the imbalance on just accumulating? Why don't we look more at safeguarding what we have? I don't know. It's such a good question. And we have discussed that. And, you know, people do think about insurance. They insure their home, their car, their jewelry, other valuable assets. And although what we're doing isn't isn't insurance per se, you know, I, I really wish I had a good answer for your question, and I do spend time on that with people. They also do estate planning, right, where they think about whether they want to have a will or trust. You know, more, more folks than ever are thinking about designating a power of attorney, but that comes with its issues as well, right, because POAs have access to funds, and yet uh, a service like Eversafe is read-only. So to me... <laughs> That's uh, in many ways safer uh, or as safe as a POA. But, but I agree with you. There's such a focus on growing money um, and on the younger generation. 
And, you know, I think, I'm not saying that's not important, but I do think there's such a huge opportunity for banks and especially financial advisors and broker dealers to look at this as um, a way, even if they want to focus on the younger generation, this is a way to gain their trust. You talk about wealth transfer. You know, I talk about that important conversation that financial services professionals should have now with seniors and their families, because I think maybe, you know, a couple of years ago, they'd say, well, it's hard for me to just suggest that the family come in. And I get that, but the regulators are now all over the issue of elder fraud and fraud in general. And there's, you know, one FINRA rule right now that's being followed, not just by broker dealers, but by financial advisors and even by some banks that says, you open up an account of an adult of any age, take steps to get the name of a trusted contact. So if we, you know, if we have a question about your account or there's suspicious activity and we can't reach you, you know, we'll, we'll get in touch with a trusted contact. I mean, what a great idea and PS, you know, that's what Eversafe's been doing now for a few years. So, you know, I think that that opportunity to add protecting money to that conversation with next generation clients will stop that next generation client from going to a new advisor. And that's a big problem right now. You know, there's a study that says that a very small percentage, under, under 10%, it may even have been under 5%, I think the study is CISK, maybe, S-I-S-K, most adult kids do not stay with the same financial advisors. So, you know, your question is good. I view this as a real opportunity to distinguish your bank or your firm um, as, as a, a financial institution that's focused on the financial health of all of your clients, um, your parents, you know, your younger, your younger clients, um, their inheritance, okay? I don't mean to be tacky, but I often think we should run, run a campaign that says like protect your inheritance. But it's, it's really an opportunity. And, you know, most, most people, I think, do care about the older generation, um, do love older people and love parents and grandparents and don't want to see their, their life savings um, scammed away. They don't want to see their parents outlive their money for, for lots of different reasons. And so you're right. There needs... There needs to be a focus on protecting money as part of that overarching conversation about health, you know, and tech is now being used in the same sentence as aging with respect to physical health. You know, we talk about how tech can be used at home to help folks age in place, but I think we're only starting now to recognize that protecting money has to be a part of that conversation. And I think that will really help financial institutions hold on to clients, both younger and older, and distinguish themselves, um, you know, in, in, in addressing these concerns. You know, if, if not that, then certainly the regulators focus on this will help because no one wants to go through an audit and, and be shown to be not not having done anything to address the issue of elder fraud. Basically, all of the regulators, you know, the 
SEC, NASAA, FINRA, the CFPB, they all have material out there on the issue of elder financial abuse and protecting, protecting seniors. Um, FINRA is doing a conference next week we're speaking at where they're focused on senior investors. There's the Senior Safe Act. You know, I'm a nerd on this stuff, so I hope I'm not boring people, but the Senior Safe Act is a new law that offers financial institutions immunity, you know, for, for reporting. And I'm, I'm, I'm um, summarizing here. If they do education of the right uh, employees on elder fraud and the red flags of, of elder financial abuse. So, you know, I think it's going to happen, but um, sure, I'd love it to happen a little sooner. And I also wonder, Theo, to your question, would all this happen sooner if, if it was an issue affecting children? I, I wonder about that. I think ageism does play into this. So, We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. The interesting thing about you know your solution, like you said, is that half of the people that are using it are under 55. And I think there's not really a, it's, it's sort of age agnostic in the way that we should think about protection. Uh, it's like thinking about long-term care insurance or things that are later in life, like certain types of insurance. We don't like to think about that, um, you know, when, when we're getting started in our 20s and starting to collect and build assets. Um, you know, one one thing when you think about banking in general is that I think part of the reason that we're focused on younger uh, customers is, is this interesting sort of dichotomy of we want to get customers early so that we have them in their prime credit years and these type of things. And it seems like it's always a pull, right? It's the bank's search for profitability when the reality is that profitability is going to be a lifelong relationship. And if they actually focus more long-term, it would make more sense. What's, what's great about what you're doing is that you're showing that technology can actually do this type of aggregated account review and look at fraudulent activity before it gets out of control at a mass scale. But there's a lot of hype around the ability for things like AI to do that and what the promise of technology is to sort of take care of everybody uh, sort of equally. So, you know, what are some of the sort of areas that, that you kind of hope technology can help both your solution um, for the banking industry and also sort of ways that we could improve it? Like, what, what's your take? Yeah, thanks. Uh, another really good question. And again, you know, maybe people are a little slow to um, consider uh, the use of technology and, you know, sexy terms like machine learning and AI and, you know, and, and, and use it, you know, when, when you think about um, serving older clients, but, but the truth is it can be used. Like we can use machine learning to develop a personalized profile for an individual member. So, um, 
so we're not giving a static alert, right? So my big bank offered me alerts on transactions over a certain amount or under a certain amount. And hey, that, that's good. It's something. But through the use of machine learning and through trying to analyze um, new patterns and new trends that fraudsters use um, and new things that we should be looking at um, as, as alerts, AI can be so useful there, both internally at, uh, within financial institutions and for um, using uh, fintech services to, to prevent things like uh, financial abuse and identity theft. Uh, I think, you know, the, the, this use and the, the de- deployment of, of sort of sexy technology can do this better. Even blockchain, right, will be used um, within compliance and fraud and risk units um, within banks and firms to find more of these cases earlier. I, I have to tell you, I'll tell you as a prosecutor, and I, I can tell you now that these cases go on for way too long before they're identified. And we really should be a lot further along before, <laughs> before they are detected and, and resolved because, you know, out of all the different forms of abuse in later life, and, and I know this, elder fraud actually has the, the highest mortality rate, the lowest survival rate of any form of abuse. So we have to get there. And it's not just about, about um, enhancing analytics. To your questions, there are other fintech companies that can really be helpful in, in um, assisting um, folks who are getting older, and that's not, not just seniors, right? It's all of us. I always think about aging in terms of it starts happening when you're born, really. But things like um, um, call monitoring systems, fintech services that stop automated uh, telemarketing calls, um, there, there are a few of them. One is called Nomo Robo, one is called Umail, that can actually shut down um, some of those scamming calls so that uh, adult living at home alone that tends to pick up the, the call all the time, at least some of those calls can be shut down. We can, some of those companies can actually block numbers. Um, other fintech companies, uh, one we work with in particular called Silverbills, can actually use technology to um, address bill paying, which um, does, you know, again, not being ageist, but bill paying can become a problem as you get older. It's actually a problem for some younger adults, but technology can help with that, can, can help with things that you miss. Um, other fintech platforms can actually put documents in a digital safe. So wills, POAs, copies of a trust, all those things can be safe and secure instead of being left in a desk drawer for, uh, you know, any old uh, mechanic or, or contractor or unscrupulous caregiver to pick up. But technology, machine learning, AI can be used to protect assets as well as, as grow them, <laughs> you know, as well as give you what I really look at as, um, I see all the apps out there for, for young people to give them, you know, an advance on their paycheck. I, I get it. I really do. But um, I know that you guys focus a lot also on right now um, the issues with saving for retirement. And I, I just, this needs to be included in, in conversations about machine learning and AI and technology that actually 
um, will grow will grow your money and, and help with that. So appreciate your focus on that. And you said, you said a few things that, that resonates. Um, technology should be age agnostic, right? It really doesn't matter if we're older or younger. We still need to make sure we safeguard our identity. We need to make sure that we know where things are and keep track of it and grow the assets. Um, and by the way, we still need to grow it beyond 50 because none of us are retiring anytime soon um, <clears throat> and, and all of that, right? And it just makes sense. Um, unfortunately, there is this bias going on in an industry, like you say, with all the apps that's out there, they tend to focus on the younger generation or a specific segment of the population. Um, ageism is, is, is a real thing, uh, unfortunately. Our society is polarized, doesn't matter you know, where you live, what region of, of the world, east, west, um, we're seeing more and more people that are, I don't know if disenfranchised is a good word, but definitely, you know, the, the whole okay boomer, um, you know, trend that's going on, for example, um, I think just recently we saw another one in New Zealand. Um, so that's interesting. (laughs) Right. So it's not just the U S unfortunately, although I think in the U S it's a little bit more drastic because of how, our income inequality is, is widening more so than some of the Nordic countries. So I, I agree with you. Right. And, and, and so here's the thing, right? It's not so much so just a generation thing. It's not so much so just a capitalism thing. It's not just a policy thing. It's many, many facets of all of these spokes of the wheel that, that turn and in a way cause more friction of the different generations that are living together, working alongside with each other. I would like to end this with, with hopefully, if there's something hopeful that you can share with us, is it ever going to get better? <laughs> <laughs> well, you you may have um, you may have a better sense of whether it's going to get better. I I you know, I tend to be um, somewhat of a Pollyanna about things. So, um, and the younger people won't even understand what Pollyanna is, but. <laughs> Um, I tend to be an optimist, um, uh, despite everything. And I do, you know, especially because the regulators are focused on this. I mean, that's always a good motivation, right? I do think ageism is part of it. It's funny, you and I have talked about um, not only ageism, but ageism and sexism. Let's let's face it, right? That's yes, we get both, right? <laughs> we do get we did we do get both. I, and I, I see it now. Um, you know, I think I was, a, I was fortunate to be a prosecutor in Manhattan, in New York City. Um, but you did, I did see it there. Um, I, you know, so, um, and I'm, t- I'm, I'm drifting off to sexism here. But as far as ageism goes, I think folks are becoming more aware of ageism, especially as our population is aging. You know, once you're there, you tend to see something as a big issue, right? So, um, which I think is, is kind of interesting. And now that um, we have so many people that are 55 and over, um, I think people see this as an issue. And, you know, while I do wonder whether, um, whether, there, wouldn't, whether there wouldn't be more being done if this were affecting younger people, I do see financial institutions doing more, especially because of 
uh, the regulators that are forcing them to do more. Almost every CEO of a financial institution I have spoken with, uh, Howard and I have spoken with, has mentioned a mom or a dad or a grandparent or a neighbor that they're worried about. So <laughs> I do think that things will get better. Um, I, I think that um, we're moving in that direction, maybe not as quickly as, as, um, as I'd like this to go, but I think, I think we're getting there. And certainly you, you guys focusing on this will be a big help. It's not such a heavy lift to use to te technology and, and a FinTech service to um, protect all of your assets and your parents' assets and you know, your kids' assets and to just you know, sign in and, and get alerts. We, we provide convenience features also. We're not just about fraud prevention. We provide alerts for you know, not just balances, but interest rate changes on accounts, changes in bills, notices about unpaid bills. We, we give alerts for real estate that, that if there's a new lien or uh, we can identify new reverse mortgages. So it's really about just folks using technology, not just to remind them when to take a pill, but to protect everything they've worked a whole lifetime to save. It's such a no-brainer to me that I hope maybe this podcast, someone will think, yeah, you know, really, we should look at something like this and, and do a little more because we're all going to be there, right? Maybe yes. there's ageism out there. Um, Theo, you and I have been at conferences, even, even conferences run by aging organizations where jokes are made about senior moments on the stage, you know, which is really a negative thing. And I'm like, really, this is an aging conference? And we're joking about old people forgetting things, but we're all going to be there. And I think we'd all like to be there with our life savings for whatever reason we want to use them. So um, we're getting there. We're getting there. I'll just end with this, uh, Liz. You know, we support solutions that are really helping out, not just those that are 50 and above, but those that make sense. And when you go out to eversafe.com and you think about this type of solution for a bank credit union or, again, a brokerage service, this needs to be something that is more important than spending $10 a month on Netflix. This is something <laughs> that protects your assets for your lifetime. And so, we thank you and Howard um, for bringing this solution to market and for supporting, you know, other founders that are doing things to protect us. Uh, Brad, I, I, thank, I you thank, so thank you. I thank you, Brad. I can't thank you enough. Uh, and you, Theo, for actually being prescient enough to realize that, you know, holding on to your money is smart and we can use tech to do that. And I so appreciate what you guys are doing. I love your podcast ser series. Thank I can't you. wait when the new ones come out. I'm a, I'm a big fan. So is Howard. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for spending time with us. Um, this is a conversation that we just can't stress how important it is. And hopefully, if we can change one mind, one soul, one at a time, that's something that's worth doing. Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And that's it for today's show. <laughs>